0: All right. Might as well continue. I wanted to go a little bit more into detail with um, this question of good for man, right? Now, the objectivist argument, which I found good for quite some time, was that a reason is that which best serves man's life. uh, Therefore, those uh, societies which uh, accept or propagate the greatest rationality are the best for man's life and man's life is a standard of value and therefore that which most enhances man's life is good for man and so we should we should all be free to be rational and violence interferes with our reasoning capacity is therefore is bad for man and so on and i found this argument good though incomplete um i mean i think it's hard to say that violence is good uh, for man as a whole uh, it's not but, unfortunately, I think that it makes the fallacy of collectivism, right? It, it, um, uh, it says there's such a thing as man as a whole, which, uh, which there isn't. And um, so I think that's uh, something that's worth, uh, worth looking at from an ethical standpoint. Now, I was uh, heavily influenced, and I got this guy, he actually contacted me recently, he was my, my college roommate, we shared a room, I, <laughs> that's crazy, I was working up north, I had a big beard, and and, uh, and uh, I had uh, my uh, army bag worth of stuff, when I came from working up north, and I flew down to Montreal to try and find a place to, uh, to live as a student, and I got there late, I had to finish uh, doing some prospecting up north, and I kind of got uh, to school late, and uh, <laughs> I remember I sort of had to take you know, three planes and uh, all that to get to Montreal from where I was working up north. And I came off, you know, big bushy beard, bush clothing, and <laughs> not the sweetest smelling rose in the bush. And uh, I was really tired. I'd been sort of traveling for 24 hours. I was exhausted. And um, I ended up uh, I was dragging my stuff. I, had no, I had no cash uh, because I was up north. and There were no bank machines back then, right? So I had no cash. I had to wait for my bank to open. I got in like 5 in the morning. And <laughs> so I walked up the street of Montreal and I ended up going into a woman's, a woman's um, residence. And I just crashed on the couch. And I guess I looked like a homeless person because the security guard woke me up and shooed me off because I looked looked and smelled pretty rough from my bush days. And uh, I had an ex-girlfriend who was going to put me up for a couple of days while I found a place and I didn't have any way of contacting her. So I just sort of stood at the gates of of the college hoping I'd see her at some point and then I found someone who knew where she was or whatever. So that sort of worked out. And I ended up taking a room in a frat house, and I ended up sharing that room with another guy and who actually were good friends. Um, He was a good roommate to have. Just blew my mind how well he slept though. They could not wake him, like ringing phones, pots and pans, nothing could wake the guy. And um, he was a biology major, and a very smart fellow, and uh, he taught me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of useful stuff with regards to philosophy about, uh, in regards to biology. And uh, it was through him that I got into Richard Dawkins and other biologists that I've had a great deal of pleasure uh, reading, and uh, it was him who sort of started me down the road of really beginning to, and I never discussed objectivist ethics with him in particular, Uh, but he he was very fascinated by memes, right, how ideas replicate themselves in society and all that, right? So he, he wasn't particularly philosophical, but he was fascinated by the spread of ideas, you know. A moral biologist it 's almost a <laughs> synonym, and uh, so it was uh, he who sort of put me onto uh, the selfish gene and, and we had discussions about that and the idea that you know fundamentally your little toe is just using you like a big lever to make another little toe, or more specifically the genes that produce your little toe are just using you as a way of making another little toe that this sort of genetic reproduction at the uh, DNA level is what 's actually occurring, and everything 's just sort of a means to that end. your spleen is just using you. Um, to make another spleen, and uh, I threw some of that in some original drafts of the God of atheists, but didn 't make it didn 't make it very far it sort of fit, but uh, I, uh, that sort of stuff don 't think it made it too much of it made it into the final version but I was really fascinated by that, and it certainly is true that if you die young, certainly if you die before puberty, then your spleen doesn 't get to make you uh, get to um, use you to make another spleen but um it is not the entity as a whole that matters fundamentally. Uh, Like, if you get your finger cut off, you still get to make another finger in your kid, right? The fact that you get your finger cut off doesn't mean your kid's born without a finger and so on. So, uh, parts are extraneous and irrelevant, and as long as the genes get to reproduce themselves, they don't particularly care what happens to the individual, right? Like, if your teeth fall out or if you get cancer after reproduction or whatever. I mean, there's some, uh, you know, you need to be there to help your kid or whatever, but... I was really fascinated by the biological imperatives of uh, of life, and what they what they did on on some, some significant further reflection is that it began to undermine the idea of the objectivist that which is good for man, because there really is no such thing. Uh, humanity is an ecosystem of competing interests, and this is why statism is so bad and the free market is so good. But uh, because of this reality, that Humanity is an ecosystem of competing interests, right? Humanity is nature as a whole, writ large, right? We have our predators and our prey and our parasites and all the kinds of things. Uh, we have our um, mutually beneficial uh, relationships. Uh, I can't remember what they're called in biology. Somebody will tell me, I'm sure. Um, symbiotic. That's it, right? We have those those kinds of relationships, and uh, uh, you know, the greatest predators for human beings, of course. In you know, ever since the demise of the saber-toothed tiger, say <laughs> the greatest predator, is for human beings, are of course other, other human beings. And so the idea of saying that which is good for man is to me the scientific equivalent of saying, you know, that which is good for nature. Well, it doesn't really make sense, or it's like saying. um, Uh, That which is good for both lions and gazelles. Well, it's true that they're somewhat interdependent, but well, somewhat independent. Uh, But but there's no such thing as, you know, if, if a lion is chasing a gazelle, that which is good for both of them, right? I think that's really, really important to understand, right? That which is good for the lion is to eat the gazelle, which is not good for the gazelle. So, the idea that there's something that is good for man as a whole is something that it's just not sustainable from a scientific standpoint. It's not uh, sustainable from a sort of logical standpoint. It just There's no such thing as that which is good for man as a whole. Uh, if you go from a state of society to a free society, there will be winners and losers. And particularly in the short run. Like you can say in the long run, uh, some guy who's a union boss right now, well, he's going to lose his job, or his job is going to be changed so significantly that it will be unrecognizable and somebody else will probably have to fulfill it. So he's going to do a lot worse. He's going to go from making 100000 in pay and kickbacks and probably a hell of a lot more, but he's going to do a lot worse. He's going to end up being, I don't know, some worker on a shop floor, or whatever, making $40,000, 30000 He's going to do a lot worse. Now, in the long run, his kids won't grow up to be corrupt union bosses, but rather will get good education in free society, grow up to be better and faster and meaner, stronger, whatever, right? But, of course, there's no such thing as that which is good for the next generation when it comes to decisions in the moment, right? Not particularly. If there were, there'd be no such thing as the national debt, right? So, it's not, uh, I believe, valid to say, you know, that which is good for man, qua man. I mean, that's a bit of the, you know, (laughs) to use the, the amateur phrase, right? I mean, Ayn Rand was not a huge stranger to narcissism, in my humble opinion, uh, although a brilliant philosopher, you know, the lack of humility, I think, is something that I've really tried to uh, address as best I can in sort of my own thinking and approach to things. And so that which is good for man, qua man, is sort of like, well, I, Ayn random, very rational, and therefore a more rational society would be great for me. And, you know, she's probably right. But that's not good for the people who are better... and Like, the sociopaths, right, who were glib and charming and morally corrupt don't do as well under a free society because they can't attach themselves to state power and become politicians, right? So they're not going to do as well materially. And the argument that comes back from libertarians is, well, yeah, that's true, but, uh, you know, uh, in a free society, the politician like Ted Kennedy uh, was all about state medicine, but in a free society, there probably would have been a cure for cancer that would have saved him and blah, blah, blah but that's not how people make decisions you know really not most people anyway in the sort of what if what ifs right i'll sacrifice personal things on the off chance that two generations from now there'll be a cure for cancer um that's not how how people really really operate so i don't think it really works that well see this is a fundamental (laughs) it's an argument from effect as to why the argument from effect doesn't work one of the reasons why the argument from effect One of the many reasons why the argument from effect does not work is this. The argument from effect says that certain benefits will accrue from a particular course of action, and therefore we should pursue that course of action. Uh, The price of food, uh, after some uh, increases, will drop in a number of years as a result of getting rid of farm subsidies getting rid of a government monopoly on liquor will, uh, you know, raise the prices for a little while uh, and then uh, you'll get more variety and, and uh, lower prices down the road and blah, blah, blah. Uh, these are all arguments from effect. And the reason that it never works is that the argument from effect is always the effects that benefit a diffuse maj- uh, ma- a majority. Right? Majorities are really bad when it comes comes to <coughs> getting behind benefits that they can't even see right of course right so to take uh, the example of of getting rid of farm subsidies well in the short run the price of um, of foodstuffs will probably go up right because there'll be a big adjustment and uh, farmers will have to uh, um, uh, change their methods of production and there'll be uh, problems right Uh, any readjustment has this issue Uh, it may not be long but it will be definitely there and then, in a couple of years uh, farm more rational and third world farmers will have uh, not won't have food dumped on all that, right so in the long run the, the diffuse majority will gain benefits that they can't see and which, which benefits will not accrue to any individual massively in particular I mean compared to the loss of hundreds of thousands of dollars and farm subsidies to farmers so the argument from effect says a diffuse and unconscious majority unconscious in that they won't know about the benefits and won't directly attribute them to the policies, that a diffuse majority will benefit from a particular course of action. However, a very specialized and highly invested minority will do very, 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 very badly from the changes. And as we all know, a diffuse majority has no particular incentive to lobby for these changes, whereas a specialized and highly invested minority has every reason under sun and moon to agitate to prevent, right? So when you, when you use the argument from effect, you're saying that the effects uh, are worth the cost, but for, the, for those who's, for whom the effects are not worth the cost, right, it's true that the farmers will be able to uh, spend a few bucks a week less on food, but it still won't make up for the hundreds of thousands or more that they're getting in subsidies and protectionism and so on. So for them, it's a net economic loss. So the argument from effect for them is much more powerful to retain the farm subsidies to agitate for the retention of the farm subsidies than for the diffuse and unconscious majority to advocate for the destruction of the farm subsidies, the argument from effect puts the biggest and most concentrated lasers into the um, uh, into the hands of the highly invested and motivated minority who benefit because the argument from effect for them is to agitate as hard and as uh, energetically as humanly possible for the retention of the unjust benefits they're currently receiving. The argument from effect is like giving one group <laughs> spaceships powered with lasers and another group a bunch of flashlights and saying go to it and combat yourself and see who'll win. Right? Uh, the argument from effect gives extraordinary weapons and incentive to uh, those who wish to maintain the unjust system, the minority. And uh, gives nothing really uh, to, to the majority in terms of incentive. Right, so the argument from effect is just reason 12 million why the argument from effect never works. And that's why the Randian argument, that which is good for man is uh, is reason and therefore we should be rational and so on, well, good for which man? And the argument which is, you know, beautifully portrayed through um, Gail Winand and... and uh, uh, Peter Keating and other, other fictional characters is to say that, well, okay. So if 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 reason is not particularly good for you, right? If you want more than reason would allow you, right? Which is Peter Keating using Howard Rock's drawings to to sort of get ahead in the architectural field. If you want more than a free market, so to speak, would would give you. The problem is then, well, that is good for you, right? So why wouldn't you then advocate for these kinds of subsidies and so on, right? Why wouldn't bad farmers advocate for subsidies? Because that which is good for their life, good for them, is to take, well, to have the government take things from other people and give to them, take to, take from the diffuse majority and give to the invested minority. And what's the argument against that? Well, the argument against that in most philosophical systems is Yes, if you pursue injustice, if you pursue power, if you pursue that which you have not earned, if you work to gain unjust benefits, it is good for you in a material sense, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, does it hollow you out emotionally oh boy the self esteem the unhappiness, the sense of emptiness, the nihilism, the this is the aesthetic argument that is always made that you can, you can certainly get the unearned, you can get the unearned and uh, but it will make you unhappy. You will uh, be depressed, you will be lonely, you will be this, you will be that. And the reason that it has to be portrayed that way is because there's no good argument against receiving unjust benefits. In in most philosophical systems, I would say, you know, pre-UPB philosophical system, moral systems, what is the argument for uh, not pursuing unjust benefits? Well, if you say that, which is good for the individual, well, it's good for the individual to get unjust benefits, right? Lobby the government, get hundreds of thousands of dollars in subsidies. That's good for you. So the argument has to be that you end up unhappy. And that is, you know, a pretty weak argument, I must say. It's really, really a weak, weak, weak argument. First of all, how empirical is it? I mean, do we know? Uh, Have we tested? Have we performed psychological tests on people who accept subsidies and people who don't and people who lobby government and people who don't? Are they happier? Are they less happy? We don't know. It just seems like they should be because they're not doing what the philosophy wants and therefore they should be unhappy. Right? It's sort of like... uh, unhappiness is distance from God, right? Like the atheist is must be unhappy, right? Because the Christian wants to believe that Jesus saves and therefore the atheist must be bitter and unhappy. But uh, it's a really bad argument. There's no proof, right? For the people who all want this empiricism. And it would be relatively easy to prove, right? Just take a big cross-section of people and, you know, spend a couple of hundred thousand bucks um, and uh, test levels of happiness. Is Bill Clinton unhappy? Well, he seems pretty happy. Is uh, George Bush unhappy? Well, generally, when people are unhappy, they'll stop doing that which makes them unhappy. I mean, unless they're complete addicts, right? In which case, it does tend to show up in pretty, you know, significant areas, right? Like no job, no relationships, no money and so on. George Bush showed up to work, uh, you know, ran the free world such as it was. Was he unhappy? I don't know. It's hard to say. Hard to say. Is Hillary Clinton unhappy? Well if she was really unhappy because she pursued a life of power and prestige why is she still pursuing a life of power and prestige she doesn't seem to be unhappy she seems to be quite eager, was quite eager to be president and seems to be quite eager to be secretary of state is she unhappy Ronald Reagan, was he miserable was he, you know unhappy with uh, his uh, life in politics he certainly didn't achieve what he claimed he wanted to unhappy doesn't, it doesn't work it doesn't, there's no answer and the, the evidence appears to be quite the contrary so that's why you need something like UPB where it doesn't matter if people are happy or not if their ethics don't stand up to universality and logic, evidence doesn't matter whether they're happy or unhappy they're just plain wrong